0: Welcome to the Vital Conversations podcast. We are broadcasting from the intersection of Christian faith and society. This podcast aims to inform and motivate people of faith on issues of social justice and concern. I'm your host, Jared Cunningham. Let's get started. So, welcome to the series finale of the Methodism Podcast. As is now customary for the podcast, I have once again made an error. At the time I recorded this episode with Brian, I made an error. There is a fancy button on audio equipment called a pad button, and what it does is it cuts the volume of whatever you're recording, and that button was on on my channel, and I All that really means is that my side of this conversation sounds like I have bad cell phone reception. So, I don't know if we're multiversing on this episode or if we're time traveling. So this episode is based on Brian's half of the conversation and my re-recording of the conversation. So, without further ado, here's our season finale. So for something I thought up in late December and somehow managed to bring into fruition in early March, I thought the series went very well. And from the feedback I've gotten, it seems like it went—it was amazing for others. And here's what Brian had to say about it.
1: I loved it. It's been one of my favorite things to listen to recently. I've I've anticipated the episodes coming out, and, and when I didn't see a new one drop and I thought that it might, I, I kind of was thinking like, oh man, I wish that was this, available tonight. Yeah, it's been good.
0: As I've shared many times throughout the series, back in November, I believe, I took a course through the United Methodist training system tools area. And it was on why become a United Methodist? What is the United Methodist Church? It went through the history, through John Wesley, the great area that is the 1800s through the early 1900s. And how the United Methodist Church came to be in the 1950s. And it was interesting, but it didn't answer the question of why would someone choose to be United Methodist today? Why would someone choose that? Why would someone gravitate towards it? And an interesting question that I came up with was what does being United Methodist mean for those in our church family? And it was also interesting because it turns out John Wesley himself didn't want to create a new denomination as. Brian explains.
1: Yeah. He always saw himself as trying to... Re- he was a member of the Anglican Church, a pastor in it, a priest. And his goal was he thought that it had really just grown stale and dry and was kind of majoring in all the minor things and missing the major points of faith, you know, the kind of core things. And so he his whole hope was just to really reform and revive and kind of spark a new love and joy in the Anglican Church. And so he never set out to establish a new denomination, Um And the joke or the line is that he he died an Anglican priest still. And so the Methodist Church really came after him.
0: Um, And as I've also mentioned throughout the series, growing up in Christian schools, it always seemed, whenever I heard about John Wesley, it always seemed like he just woke up one day and decided to create this new denomination. But between the research I did and speaking with Brian and things I've kind of picked up throughout the series, it's actually the contrary. He was, as Brian said, also trying to revitalize and kind of breathe new life into this uh, way of doing church that he felt had gotten stale. But also, he was trying to re—he was also trying to find reassurance of his faith and who he was and who he
1: was in God. Uh, it almost seemed like he was trying to figure out what his faith was. He went to kind of like a Christian school, basically a Christian university, and he graduated and. It was almost like his way of figuring out who he was and how he related to God was done while he was actively serving as a pastor, as a priest, (laughs) which is unique.
0: (laughs) So to set the stage for the rest of the series, it seemed appropriate to start with John Wesley and see what was going on in his life that helped kind of spawn this idea of Methodism. And what stood out to me was that, like I said, John Wesley's trying to find reassurance of his own faith. And along the way, he adopts this view, and I'm not sure if the term is Moravian or Moravian, but their belief that we are saved by grace alone and that the works that we do do not make up for our faith in God. And along his lifetime, he kind of boils down to these three main ideas, one being this idea of what we call the journey of grace, which Ryan highlighted very well in his sermon series. The second being this idea of Christian perfection and how we're not perfect in the sense that we might think perfect, but Christian perfection is in itself this journey where we are trying to grow and mature with God. And lastly, this idea of fellowshipping and growing with one another through means of getting together and talking and living out scripture. After that first episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with John Atchison. of our church council members and a member of our worship team and we talked about the social principles of the united methodist church which is part of the book of discipline the governing kind of document for the united methodist church and we didn't go into super heavy detail about the book of disciplines itself but i love this conversation because i was able to learn a lot more about kind of how the church operates than what i learned in the initial course and here are some of Brian's thoughts about that episode.
1: Well, I, I like that John has a passion for the social principles, and he shared a few times with me like that's what kind of brought him and kept him at the Methodist Church. And to kind of summarize it, it's kind of the idea that the Methodist Church has thoughtfully thoughtfully thought through all the different kind of things going on in the world, not stuff inside the walls of the church, but outside. Um, anything we see in the news, anything kind of going on in culture, um, whether it's uh, rights or poverty or um, exploitation or um, you know, politics, not necessarily a political party, but how do how do Christians engage faithfully in all these different areas? And I think that's something that's really unique about uh, other churches and denominations do this, but we've got a whole kind of book that really guides us to think about thoughtful approaches to think about beyond the church walls. So I think what I appreciate about John, and he lives this out in his own life too, is a way of living that says it's about Sunday, but it's mostly about the Monday through Saturday. Uh, and my faith, in our, my faith speaks to how I live every single day. Um, so for me, just hearing John talk about that and knowing that that's how he lives his life was, uh, it was just it was refreshing. <laughs> to use our word, what do you like about that one?
0: So something that I picked up on in this episode that I did with John was that. He really highlighted this idea that John Wesley heavily believed in filling the needs of others and that when you research and you really dive into like what John Wesley did throughout his life, you see him actively trying to help build and nurture his community. He built schools, he built hospitals, he visited prisoners and tried to spread wealth and help people however he could and we see that love of Christ really reflected throughout his life. And something we've talked about in the past is this idea of having a religion versus having a relationship with God. And sometimes churches can feel like there's this kind of checklist we have to hit. There's these certain things we have to do that say, because we are a Christian, we are supposed to do these things. Whereas John Wesley and somewhat what we see throughout the Methodist church is that through our love of God and because we've loved and grown and nurtured with God part of our life and our growth does reflect that love of God into things like feeding the homeless taking the time out to educate and help in the growth of our young children um even through our generosity and i believe the question i asked john was like what does he how does he see the united methodist church today And I love his reply because it kind of covers all of this. He sees it as this collection of imperfect people who are trying to figure out how to live out the will of God and bring the family of God to those around them and are learning to love one another at the same time. And I feel like that really encompasses what we are, who we are as Methodists and what we're trying to do. And we didn't need to spend much time on it, but I asked Brian to give a quick kind of walkthrough of our journey of grace, because I love his house analogy.
1: Yeah, that's always been one of my favorites, the idea that um, there's the prevenient and justifying and sanctifying grace, and Wesley kind of likened it to a house. I I, I chuckled when I heard this again, but think like uh, in the podcast when you kind of recap the sermon, uh, like a Harry Potter type street of London. (laughs) That's a better picture than, like, the suburbs where we live. But either way, you're going down a street. It's late at night. It's rainy. It's cold. You can't find anywhere to kind of seek shelter and take cover, and you see a light a long ways off kind of burning on someone's front door. Uh, And instinctively, you just go to it because it seems to indicate some kind of welcome. And Wesley's idea was that's prevenient grace. It's the light that God lights to bring us home before we even know that it's there before we're even aware of who God is. We arrive at the door, and the kind of the knock on the door is justifying grace that the door opens, God welcomes us into the house. Um, and so he likens faith to like a house. It's, a, it's not just a thing you do, but it's a place you make your home, a place you live, you settle in, you make it yours, it becomes kind of unique, but it also reflects God. And then sanctifying grace is just that, like living into that house that, that kind of brought you that place of refuge. Um, and there would be kind of be a circular thought, too. Um, we could maybe think about back porches or something else. But the idea that we don't just sit in the house by ourselves. We, we go out and we seek others who might be looking for a place, or we gather in community. Like,
0: that was the first, I think reading through that book was first time I ever heard, heard, heard. those ideas of life, God giving us grace
1: before we gather. Yeah. Yeah, first time I heard it was like when I went to seminary, which happened to be kind of a Methodist-affiliated seminary, and uh, it, it was it was it was mind-blowing. It's still surprising sometimes too because we just think we think we find God, and it's that surprise of like God's like, "Well, I already knew where you were. <laughs> I've been I've been looking for you a long time," you know.
0: And back when we did that series, it was my first time kind of hearing that idea of the house analogy where we're being invited in by God. And he's looking for us before we have any idea of who he is. And which kind of brings us to our next favorite episode. I was able to sit down and have a conversation with Troy and Lindsay. They're not exactly new to Citrus Church anymore. They joined up with us back in August of last year. They joined us for in-person worship. I believe we were still outdoors at that point, maybe. Um, And before that, they were actually watching us online so here are some of Brian's kind of takeaways from that episode.
1: Well, I, I still think it was funny that um, Lindsay had a, a like an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of things she was looking for in a church, and what struck me is we we checked a lot of the boxes at Citrus, but there were some things that we didn't check off, and it was to me it was just kind of a reminder that there is no perfect church because it's made up of people and it's imperfect, you know. And so, it, I think finding a church they kind of reminded me is about finding the best place where you can grow with God and with others, and you'll never find a perfect one. I think the thing that stuck out to me most was just hearing about their experience in other churches and the hurt that they'd experienced. And at that same time I listened to that podcast, I remember I'd heard maybe from two or three others in our church outside, just others who had also experienced being hurt by churches in a variety of different ways. And I began to realize, I think, I don't have any statistics on this, but it seems like that is a growing and common theme of people who have been burned out or hurt, and they're either just done or they're just looking for something different. Um, and I think with some of the the big-scale stuff, like the, the Mars Hill churches and uh, Hillsong recently, um, it's almost like every week brings a new church kind of falling rapidly from its pedestal. And so that one was... It was really good. I loved what they had to say, but it was also pretty sobering, too. What what did you like about that one?
0: So my takeaways from this episode was kind of firstly, they pointed out that what they liked about the Methodist Church and what they liked about Citrus, again, this was not supposed to be a promotional thing for a Citrus Church, but that's kind of what it also turned into, which is okay. Um, they found that this was a place where it was okay to have questions. A lot of times when we join churches or kind of from my perspective, growing up in church, going to church every Sunday and being in Christian schools every week, it often feels like church is in a place where one can have questions. But kind of coming to Citrus and kind of being in the Methodist church, you find that it's different and it's okay to have some of those questions and that we're all just trying to grow and learn more. And I believe I asked Lindsay and Troy the same question I asked John, what does the United Methodist Church kind of represent to them? And their thoughts were that kind of firstly, the Methodist Church is kind of like the island for misfit toys where everyone actually does have a place and everyone is welcome and everyone is trying to help one another. And in their opinion, it feels like the Methodist Church is actually trying to be The church that we read in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, where we see the church kind of helping those in need, helping one another, sharing resources. And lastly, they share that it's a denomination that wants to be the hands and feet of God and is trying to go out and do as we are instructed and do as we read in the Bible.
1: Yeah. And I think that's good because the official website may say that, but when it gets down to it, that's what people say who are there. And I think that's meaningful.
0: And since Brian was there, I didn't feel like there was a need to go too deep into this episode, but I had the opportunity again to sit with Brian and our lay leader, Miss Janet Wheatley. And I do not believe we've ever had, especially Brian. I, we haven't had a chance to like sit down and talk about his like full background in Methodism. And I haven't had an opportunity to hear Janet's story. So here's Ryan's thoughts from that episode.
1: That one was fun. I felt like we, everyone we talked to, everyone you talked to kind of brought like a different angle. And so Janet's was like growing up, you know, her dad was a pastor and she's from a Methodist family. Was a too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was really neat because y- you kind of caught a glimpse into what I think is like Methodism in action over a long period of time. Um, and again, I don't think we we're ever trying to say, like, being Methodist is the only way. We're trying to say, you know, Christianity, this is Christianity. There's lots of different streams. We all kind of pick a stream that speaks to us mostly. Um, and one of the things that she mentioned that really stuck out to me was, was that for her, I think faith was seen in her parents. Uh, and maybe it wasn't kind of like broadcast or talked about. And I think that resonated with me, particularly as a pastor with kids knowing that my kids hear me talk or see me talk a lot. Daddy's job is talking. I, I, Sam had to draw this for school, and uh, he drew Daddy's job is talking about God and pulling a trailer. <laughs> That's yeah, he's, he's not wrong. Um, and so I think those of us who talk about God maybe as a living worry that how will that translate? Are, are we living it out? You know, Which I think is a good thing for all of us to think about. And so for her, there was that correlation between what was said and what was done. Um, And so that was really significant and meaningful to me that she had just a lot of positive examples of how her faith shaped her growing up and her family.
0: And again, I asked both Brian and Janet the same question. What does the United Methodist Church represent to them? And for Janet, it was accepting, inclusive, open. And for her, the real draw to Methodism was that there is actually this effort to be more open and inclusive and it offers this welcome invitation of faith. And it was interesting because it kind of connected back to what John said about the Methodist church and that there's that effort to go back every four years and make sure we're amending and making sure we're a modern church and that we're up to date on the issues that we're facing as a church. And for Brian, Brian, he mentioned this idea of making disciples, and he was influenced by someone who he felt did a great job of making disciples,
1: and he explained what that really meant to him. Yeah. it It's a reminder to me that Jesus didn't say, like, go make church members, but go make disciples. Um, and I felt like that was a place when I was in college that I really saw that happening, was in a Methodist campus ministry of what it could look like in real life of how to make disciples—it's kind of hard. Like you think, like, well, what's a disciple? It's kind of hard to define, you know. Like, what do they do? How do they live? Um, but I feel like I saw a model for that—a um, good model that resonated with me in Methodist Church between Wesley's idea of kind of these different size groups, like you mentioned. There's the kind of person-to-person accountability or small groups or kind of the larger gatherings, um, and so based off of sizes, it gives you different ways that you can learn and engage. Um, And maybe only later in history would we discover that everyone learns and grows different. And so a different approach to learning styles makes a lot of sense.
0: And lastly, to highlight our favorite episodes, um, I was finally able to sit down and have a conversation with David Rowe. This episode took a while to put together, just due to schedules and just finding the time to sit down and record. But over the last, I'd say, year, year and a half, I've heard you know stories about David's story, but it was great to finally be able to sit down and kind of hear it from him. So, here's Brian's thoughts.
1: Yeah, that one was powerful. I remember. It was as the, I could tell. Like for you, I could I could hear it in your voice on the other end that you were thinking like, "Man, this is this is powerful." You could hear it through the podcast. Uh, Again, another example of someone who grew up in two different traditions. And what I loved about what David shared was, I always call it, I think I mentioned the sneakiness of the Methodist church. Like you don't realize like, oh, my faith has a home here before you're already deep in it. Yeah. And, you know, his Baptist versus Catholic background. And this was, I've heard that so many times. I used to do a lot of weddings in my first appointment. And people would come to our church because one was Baptist, one was Catholic. They were kind of on these spectrums that typically were considered opposites but they loved each other, wanted to get married. And the Methodist was always a good place where they used to call it like a big tent. It was a place where everyone could find a welcome, where we focused at our best on kind of the major points, and we welcomed a broader range of people. Um, And I think David pointed to that, but I'll let you speak to what What part of that was most significant for you?
0: So with sitting and listening to David, I realized kind of in my own story That much in the same way, when I first was introduced to the United Methodist Church, I was invited by a friend and they didn't say it was a Methodist church. I didn't look up anything. I just showed up and didn't know it was Methodist till I looked at sign. And I visited that Sunday and the very next week I was playing with the praise team. And like I said, much in the same way as David was accepted with no questions asked, I was accepted the same way. There was no question of conversion. There was no, like, what's your faith background? Just, hi, you're here, you're welcomed, and join us. Throughout the series, we've mentioned this—we've mentioned that the Methodist Church is kind of open to all and all are accepted, and at the same time, we've also mentioned the split that is going on within the United Methodist Church, and I asked Brian to explain more about what's going on with that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um So for a long time, the Methodist Church has had um, our Book of Discipline, which is kind of our guiding principles, and there's a statement in particular about it, but it had language that limited um, who could be ordained and who could be married in a Methodist Church or by a Methodist pastor. And it really basically just said um, someone in the LGBTQ community can't become a pastor, can't be married. But then it also said, too, basically kind of a qualifying statement that um, homosexuality is not compatible with Christian teaching. And there's been um, a lot of desire to discuss and change, or by some to keep that language and make it stronger. Um, And so it all kind of really came to a head, and we were supposed to gather as a global church, um, all the United Methodists in the world, to do our kind of business and discuss it and make a plan, and a resolution was put forth on how we can move forward with the disagreements and... Uh, Because of the pandemic, that got stretched out further and further and further, and so again, it got delayed for a third time, Um, and so now we're kind of at an impasse, well, we were, Um, and so some individuals have decided to kind of split off and begin a new denomination, the Global Methodist Church, um, which just began, I think, a few days, May 1st, but it's still unclear what that looks like or who's in it and who's not in it, Um, and there's still a question after that group leaves of the United Methodist Church coming together at some point, um, and voting to change, it seems that there's still a lot of consensus to vote to change the restrictive language. I think to maybe move back to our roots to be a church that's welcoming to all.
0: And something that's continually come up throughout this series
1: is this idea
0: that the Methodist Church is accepting, open to all, all are welcomed, and we are accepted. We are accepted as who we are. Something that. David pointed out that really kind of struck a chord with me, and if you've listened to that episode, it probably struck a chord with you as well, is that some in the church that was open and accepting of myself and open and acceptive of David as well is now looking to exclude others. And that was a very deep thought, a heavy thought. I hadn't even thought of putting it in those words, but it is a very true thought and here's what Brian had to say about it.
1: it gave me goosebumps again when you said it, and it did when he said it too of just when you put it in such stark terms and I think that's what we see a lot in the church today is who's in and who's out and and there's these litmus tests and you can see it on a quote more conservative or a quote more liberal side um but it, it always reminds me, I'm, I'm always struck, and I hope I never forget the reminder, you know, that Jesus welcomed Judas at the table, and he didn't require him to leave knowing what he would do, you know. The idea that church isn't about those litmus tests, and I think David really brought that to a point. So if someone hadn't listened to that episode, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> well worth your time, Yeah.
0: And to sort of tie everything together, um, asked Brian what reoccurring themes he saw throughout the series because as I said I started planning this in late December and some episodes were recorded in February I think one or two might have done one or two may have been done in March and I believe David's episode was recorded in April and all that to say no one knew exactly what everyone else was talking about they had an idea of who all was involved but no one knew what everyone was talking about And throughout these episodes, you see these reoccurring themes, and I asked Brian what he saw throughout the series.
1: I think in every instance, one of the things I saw was that um, being a United Methodist was not their plan. Like, no one set out with the plan to do that, you know? It, It was something that either they stumbled into or were born into or took a job into, you know, or kind of found their way, and I think that's probably very true, I would think, probably of most denominations or faith expressions. And as I mentioned before, I think really the point is not saying this way is the best way. It's just saying it's a way, um, and it's a way that, for me, makes sense for how I understand who God is as I read Scripture and for others too. So that was definitely a common theme. Um, th- that word, the the misfit one, I think was, was good because there's, I guess, a couple ways to see that. Misfits... Is a reminder to me that the church as we know it today has become probably known for who it excludes more than who it includes and th- the growing number of kind of misfits or people who just feel like they don't fit or they were pushed out or kicked out or just um their church looked at them as not quite good enough is a is a is, it's not even grow i mean it's a large number i think at this point um and tends to be the m- one of the main reasons why people Shy away from church, and I think that maybe that's why on the flip side, everyone is so passionate about creating a church um, including citrus, we hope to be that is open and welcoming and, and inclusive um, across a multitude of spectrums. you know we focus I think maybe specifically on the LGBTQ community, but all the polar I, all the polarization we're seeing in the world, the response of the church and it's not just us, obviously, it's a lot of churches, are saying the response to all the polarization is the coming together of the body of Christ and saying, in our differences, we represent best who God is. You know, in our diversity, we represent who Christ is. And I think that's the catalyst behind when people say they want to see a church that's more open and including of others.
0: And a reoccurring theme that, there were many reoccurring themes. Uh, The idea that's The Methodist Church is open all, accepting of all. There's that need to grow and kind of be able to ask and raise those questions. The kind of most important thing that stuck out to me is that though the Methodist Church was sort of founded in the 1700s, there is that push to continue to address what is happening today. That's why they get together every four years to take another look at the Book of Disciplines, there's that push to make sure we're on top of the issues that we are facing. And here's Brian's sort of closing thoughts on the series.
1: Yeah, that's it. I hadn't thought about that way before, but you're right. Like it's, we've got to continue to shape, shift and evolve to meet the challenges of the world today with the faith that we have inherited. I think um, one of my closing thoughts was maybe unique to my role as pastor of the church is, and I wonder if you felt this too, Jared. Jared, um, as a leader of our church is I just felt really proud of the community that we have. And I, I can't take credit because I don't feel like I actually like went out and recruited any of these people to kind of be able to pat myself on the back. Um, but I felt, I felt really proud of the community that we have and and really honored to be a part of it because I kept thinking, you know, we're not perfect. We got challenges and and we spend a lot of our kind of staff time discussing those challenges, you know, <laughs> but I really feel like it's a beautiful expression of the community of faith. Um, And we've got some great people with us on the journey. And in a lot of ways, I keep thinking they're, they're living out as best they can who God is calling them to be. And they're challenging themselves and they're pushing me and pushing us to, to continue to think about how our lives are shaped by Christ and what that looks like. So I just walked away loving the stories and and proud of the people of our church.
0: And, I can't really pat myself on the back either, though I guess I am the person who recruited everyone for these interviews. I still can't really explain why I wanted to talk to those involved, but I knew that they'd be good people to go to, to like have these conversations and ask these certain questions. Something just felt right. And I'm, like I said, I'm happy with the turnout I'm happy you all enjoyed it. It was a very enriching experience for me and don't worry, there is more to come. In the meantime, there are some refreshed podcast episodes coming up. Um the next kind of vinyl conversation series will focus on an important part of like who we are as Christians. Now that we've talked about kind of who we are as Methodists, I think this is a good next step to go to because we do it every Sunday, we do it every week, and for some, we do it every day. Um, I want to break down and talk about the idea of worship and what does that mean beyond just music. And there are guests planned for that as well. Not exactly sure of the start date for that, but that will be coming up soon. Also coming up on June 1st, June 8th, and June 15th at 630 I will be hosting a Bible study on the book of Galatians. The summer is kind of an odd time. So these are planned out to be kind of standalones. Say you can't make one or two of the meetings. You can drop in in any place and not feel like you're missing a whole lot. So that will be happening June 1st, June 8th, and June 15th. In the meantime, if you haven't already, join the Facebook group, The Citrus Grove. It's a great way to connect with one another and get in touch and stay connected. In the meantime, join us on Sunday mornings online or in person at Summer Lake Elementary at 1030. And with that, we'll catch you next time.